Ooh, I'm good at that. You are good at that. So are you. Yours sounds like a different um, note than mine. I'm really glad to be hanging out with you. <laughs> okay. worst experience of my life. <laughs> hey guys. <laughs> we're we're SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. Yeah. So today's episode is episode fuck is it six? It's episode six on Amazon. It's on Amazon, yeah. And it's called Stocked. Stacked. S T A L K E D. Yeah. Just listen through listen through the Midwest yeah. accent. Stock stocked. Stacked. <laughs> Season one, episode six, stalked. Stalked. Yep. Yeah. The opening scenes. So a grandpa and his grandson, they're in Central Park in the Ramble, which is a place that a lot of people go for bird watching and hanging out. Exercising. Yeah. So the grandpa is kind of like, I want to take a break. And the grandson's like, boring, and like throws a Frisbee. And the grandpa goes to get it. And it lands right next to like a brutally murdered body. Yeah. Okay. So Benson's- The body's in the tall grass. The kid threw a Frisbee like he'd never fucking done it before. Yeah, he was like, it was weird because he was like a half a foot from his grandpa. And it like, seemed like a dick move. Yeah. He's like, this is more fun. Okay. Like, cool. Benson and Stabler show up. The Vic is an ADA named Karen Fitzgerald. She was raped and shot in the head. So Benson knows her. They were acquaintances. Um, and she had wished that they had been better friends. But they had had a few drinks after court a couple of times. So it kind of, and they're like the same age. It kind of hits home for Benson. So they're in the precinct. Cragen just got off the phone with the mayor. Um, the mayor wants the suspect ASAP. Olivia says that she was an ADA for two years. She was top notch. She would take on any case. She called her a hundred percenter. Yeah, she was a hundred percenter. She would take on any case regardless of it messing with her win lose average. Yeah. So she said, which that I she didn't know was a thing until yeah, I'd heard of it. Uh, come on, the, the devil's advocate. I remember it was the first time I heard of it. <gasps> What? Oh my god, the first time I watched The Devil's Advocate. Wait, that's the one with Al Pacino yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah, and the Keanu Reeves question mark? Keanu Reeves is the yeah. The first time I saw it, I was staying at my friend Brandy's house. I was in junior fucking high and I fell asleep and had the most intense nightmares of my life. But I was in like eighth grade. I went into like a world of fan fiction um, mm -hmm. and finished the movie myself. But then I was in it and I was like, oh, and I was in the elevator with him and the ladies that were turning into demons. That's scary. That's scary. I still look at people's faces sometimes and I'm like, if I look hard enough, their face is going to turn. I wanted to go home so bad, but I'm like, oh my God, get it together. You're 14. <laughs> that creepy guy that was like shwacking himself off to like child porn Ugh. in court. Yeah. That guy was the, the... He was typecast if he if anybody yeah. has ever been. Yeah. He's actually, that poor guy, if he's a decent dude, yeah. that poor guy. He's been in a couple of movies where he was like funny and it what? like worked. I need to see it. But he was also um, the machine in 8mm. The like bad guy in oh it. Oh my God, was, I, like, haven't doing seen, all these I haven't seen films. that in forever. I've only seen it once. I haven't seen it in forever. Young Joaquin Phoenix. I remember nothing. Anyways, it doesn't mess with the win-lose average. Okay. <laughs> So everyone's kind of kicking around that maybe it was a grudge killing, like some people that she put away in court. It's a lot of people she sent to jail. Because she was, she was raped and beat with a rock and shot twice, which seemed super personal to me. Yeah. 
and to everybody in the Jeffries said it. Jeffries. Yeah. By the way, she was wearing this like V neck shirt. Yeah. Watch in the next episode, she's fucking ripped. Yeah. I didn't like and then I noticed her arms and I was like, Oh, I have I have taken note of her rounded shoulders. Yeah. They're yeah. She's ripped. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I mean rock climbing, probably. (laughs) Yeah. When you're fighting the patriarchy, dude. Munch mentions a cold case. It was a rape on Labor Day. Yeah, they called him the Labor Day rapist and Stabler's like there was like ten rapes that day. And he's like, Yeah, but the media for some reason like focused on this one and it was the same time of day, same place, and he was never found. So Craigan's like, did he say it to Jeffries? He's like, go get go get the file. Anything that happened between the Labor Day case yeah. and this case, and then yeah. find if there's anything in, and s- in see between what we, that fits. See what we missed. Yeah. yeah. Benson and Stabler go. They start on the tiniest threads to like yeah. get somewhere. Yeah. These guys would be so great in an escape room together. God, I want to do one of those. I don't. Really? Oh my God. They'll, my they'll let you out in for real, for real though. I know, but I would like maybe knowing that I could get out whenever I wanted would help. Yeah. Maybe that would help. I don't know. But you're worried you imagine- go in there and then it's like some crazy person took over and is like, actually, <gasps> it saw 702. No, I didn't think that, but now that's 100% what's going to happen if I do it. <laughs> Craigan sends Munch and Cassie to draw parallels to Labor Day Killer. Benison and Stabler go back to the crime scene and they're walking through with a cop because there's yeah, the forensic. forensics team is got the place completely covered. And they had put these impressions in and they were plaster hands, knees and whatever, and they had just taken impressions from the ground. And then it's just her knees at the end. And so that tells them that she had begged for her life. Or she yeah, she'd either begged to not be raped or begged for her life. Yeah. Or both. And then the yeah, the forensic lady was like probably both. Yeah. Olivia's like, did anybody find a book? Mm-hmm. Because she <laughs> This fucking scene. Go ahead. Just go. No, say what you said before. Okay, so this got me. Like, I had to pause it because I was laughing. I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. But I guess it makes sense. Otherwise, the show would be like 15 hours long. She's like, well, maybe she got pulled. Because when she got hot shot, she got shot twice. Once through the eye and once one through the head that kind of exploded part of her head and then ricocheted up here. So she was like, ricocheted from where? Oh, maybe she was dragged from over here. She's like, did anybody find a book? Her secretary said that she liked to read out here because it was safe. And the friends was like no no book the forensics team who had been out there for an entire day like 24 straight hours they took lunches and shifts probably yeah this is their job they went to college for this they combed every square centimeter yeah. of like, that entire area they're like no book and then olivia's like wait a second she just like kicks it doesn't even show like the bush or anything you just kick i need some gloves she found it like immediately within 30 seconds of being there. And they're like, oh, I guess we messed up. She's like, it's fine. After she finds the book, they meet this Woody Allen-esque bird watcher. And they take him to the precinct and have him look at photo lineups based on his description of the perp. And he's not very helpful at all. He's identifying a few guys. Yeah, that was him. And then they'd go to a few pages later. Yep, that's him. He's like really good at distinguishing between birds. But like right. he can't do like a, a people. <laughs> It's like, I'm not a people person. I'm a bird guy. <laughs> My wife's a crane. <laughs> Cut that out. The bird guy picks out like 10 people. Right. So one of the people that he picks out was Kenneth Maggio. He was convicted and served time for forcible sodomy. But isn't that rape? Like, why is that a different crime? I don't know. That's a good good question. Yeah. It's not. Anyway, it so be. Munch and Cassidy maybe. are going to go find him. And Benson and Stabler are going to go see another guy that was possibly ID'd, Richard White. He's a realtor, and he was prosecuted by the ADA for date rape. By the Vic. The Vic. Or 
Just yeah, the Vic. Just, the AD, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The Vic who was the ADA for date rape and he pled to a lesser charge. Benson and Stabler go to Richard White's office. I He's hate a, his face. Right away. Yeah. I'm like, this is the guy. In my notes. Yeah. Office of Richard White. Scummy dude. Yeah. I wrote, he looks like he did it. I bet he did. <laughs> But it's too early in the show, is what I wrote. Yeah, so he claims that the ADA was just doing her job, no hard feelings. Ooh, that mm-hmm. phrase. I know. He had gone to dinner with Louise Billings after they broke things off, and one thing led to another, and they had sex. She thought it meant more than it did and pressed charges. It was a misunderstanding, that, and then he was on... Or that like she was just mad because he didn't want to be with her. Yeah. So she's like, revenge, called the police. So then he gives his alibi that can be confirmed by his business partner, Kimberly Phillips. He said, oh, she had my, what is it called? It was like a- The lockbox? It was like a lockbox, like, key and pad. So he's a realtor. On all of these places that they show, they can get in with using, like, a keypad. um, It's like a keypad beeper thing. Yeah, which would unlock the door. It would also keep track of where they were at. So it says that he was here at 4 o'clock on this day, so it should be able to track exactly where he is. Yeah, it gets faxed to... 1999, find my phone, or find my friend. Yeah, where's my Apple or whatever? (laughs) When they key in, it gets faxed to Crim Properties. Yes, so Jeffries goes to meet a witness of the rape on Labor Day. Yeah, it was an Orthodox Jewish man. He had really clear memory of what happened because the guy threw some anti-Semitic shit at him. Oh, yeah, him. and was like, get out of the way, Jew bastard, or whatever. Yeah. He was like, you don't forget that shit. Right. So they have him come and looking at pictures, and it's like two hours later, and he's like, do I have to keep doing this mm-hmm. to Munch? And him and Munch kind of bond over being Jewish for like three seconds, and it's really cute. It is cute. Yeah. Mm. Munch convinces him to let a squad car take him home. He's like, the Sabbath is about to start. I can't do it. And Munch He's like, God like, protects Jews who observe the Sabbath. And he's like, I'm not letting you walk through the shit. Let's go. Yeah. Vishte. Like, Vishte. He's like, Vishte. Yeah. It was super cute. I Googled it. Vishte means understand. Yeah. Oh, before he gives him a ride home, the guy sees a picture. He picks him out. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's um this guy from Canada, and I don't remember his first name, but his last name was du- was Dusant. Yeah. He had got deported. Yeah, so the Labor Day rapist was in Canada. Well, it was it was a suspect because it ha- it's a cold case. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Benson and Stabler at Crim Properties in Jamaica, Queens. Dude, this dude loves lockboxes. <laughs> Did you notice that? He, like, would not stop raving about him. He's like, check it out. Look at this cutting fucking edge. <laughs> it is 1999, motherfuckers. <laughs> he informs them that, that Richard White was actually at the property because it shows that he had keyed in. So it looks like Richard's alibi checks out. Right. Also, we find out he sells money pits to low-income people. So we extra hate Richard White. Yeah, but he has an office in Manhattan, which is schmancy. So what's that about? Here's my notes for this, because I'm not sure what happened, because Cassidy talks like a drunk Californian. (laughs) Possible Canadian suspect Dusant's pubes got matched with something, and then it's like, something about pubes! All I have for that scene is Cassidy lets Munch know he found the Labor Day rapist via DNA pubes he's in canada okay yeah and then i said munch has got to be the worst partner to have (laughs) everyone i'm just gonna read my notes here everyone hates a know-it-all and munch is the worst version of that so that's that's just a like okay this guy's in canada whatever um they're off to see the other suspect kenneth maggio forced sodomizer 
at Tong's Donuts. Yeah, he works at a donut shop on the Lower East Side. So things get a little dark at the donut shop. They really do. They meet Kenneth Maggio, and he is sodomy Mr. Clean. Yes. He's in the kitchen. He's an intense looking dude. It's like the show is trying to make him look like the perp because he's all big and bald and like wide eyed. Right. You know. Wide eyed, not in a way of wonder, but wide eyed in like, like I, I just Nazi. I just smoked a shitload of PCP yeah. and you guys walked into the donut shop. He looks like some kind of like drugged out Nazi, neo Nazi. Yes. So Munch and Cassidy are aggressively questioning him about where he was during this rape and murder. It's so crazy how antagonizing Cassie and Munch are to possible suspects, especially the gay ones. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Um, <laughs> um have you noticed? Oh, most problematic portion of this episode because mm-hmm. he's like, oh, I was with my lover. And it's not it's not just problematic because they're being like he was like, did you, he's like, did you turn to the dark side? Yeah. He got his dick destroyed by sulfuric acid because a prison inmate punished him for being a rapist. And M- Munch's fuckboy ass literally says, and I quote, saying you went over to the dark side, a love that dare not speak its name. How convenient. Too gay to rape an ADA, huh? What the fuck, Munch? And then dude pulls on his pants. He's he had like was it soap and sulfuric acid or something? Yeah, all yeah, all I had was sulfuric acid. Yeah, and he was like, couldn't rape a freaking ant. Yeah, well, what does that have to do with having him having a gay lover? What it has that's that's my point. Yeah, it has nothing to do with who him. hurt you nineties. No shit. <laughs> So anyway, this guy has a coming out story that I've never fucking heard before because it's not a real thing. Yeah, they get to the precinct and Munch lets them know about the acid burn. I have rewanted a couple times and it sounded like he said acid on the scrot. He did. He did? I was wondering yes. sure if he like said scrot and I didn't hear them. Scrot. <laughs> and I was like, are we starting a band called Acid on the Scrot? He said scrotum, but he swallowed the end of it. Yeah. He's like scrot. Like I do. <laughs> Ah, boom! I set that up way too hard for it to be. Oh, whatever, good. it's perfect, and I did not see it coming. Will you please not delete this? Aww. Don't delete it. That was good. Hold on, I have to wipe a tear away from my eyes because I'm so proud of you. <laughs> They're at the precinct, and Cragen wants the Labor Day rapist found, and he's still somewhere in Canada. Richard White, the realtor, has an alibi that technically checks out, but Stabler still questions his innocence, so they're going to dive into it a little bit more because it's not like it's a camera that had him at this location. It was in Pops, the Creme Properties guy. This lockbox! <laughs> that anybody could have had the key to. They want to get into Richard White's past a little bit, so they're going to go talk to his date rape victim, Louise Mm. Billings. Cassidy and Munch. I don't know why they ever send him. Why would they send them? I don't know why they would send them to a woman's apartment alone to talk about a date rape. Why would they ever do that? I don't want to shit on Munch. Yes, I do. Yeah, that was a fucking straight up lie. You do. I don't want to. His bedside manner is one that is not, it doesn't line up with let's send this guy to talk to a woman who was date raped. They're at Louise Billings' apartment. Cassidy and Munch are getting her story. She dated White for like three years, but then he started getting abusive and and it stressed her out, so she broke it off. And Cassidy goes like, Mr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde. Cassidy, honey. No. Shh. He took the breakup really well and they would chat when they would run into each other and she she was like we ran into each other all the time and it was so two or three times a month in it was it was Manhattan super okay and he seemed really great and Munch is like don't you think it was weird that you would run into him that often in a city like New York mm-hmm. she was just like well my therapist said it was a clear case of cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. cognitive dissonance refers to a situation involving conflicting attitudes beliefs or behaviors this produces a feeling of mental discomfort leading 
leading to an alteration in one of the attitudes, beliefs, or behaviors to reduce the discomfort and restore its balance. It's it's you being like, is it bizarre that we run into each other a bunch and should I be worried? No. Yeah. One time they ran into each other and he was really charming. She was like, so I invited him up to my apartment for dinner for old time's sake. He ended up getting drunk and was just terrible and she sobbed as she told them that he threw her to the floor and made her beg for his forgiveness and I give Munch's bedside manner a three out of five stars because he went he sat by her he was comforting he was like I can't fault him for the way he handled this yeah, yeah. at that point he was like alright this episode Munch tells her her crawling and begging him for forgiveness is probably what saved her life and that she wasn't weak because she went to court against him and she says that the the victim the APA Karen Fitzgerald helped ADA. Give her, or ADA helped her give, give her the strength to do that yeah after he had date raped her he sent her flowers with a note saying no hard feelings. Ugh. Yeah. What the so, fuck, dick? Yeah. Gross. So Stabler and Benson are interviewing a friend of Karen Fitzgerald. They had been friends since law school and she was just remembering her and the way she was. She remembers her as usually fearless with douchey dudes at bars, but she remembers one time she reacted differently. So there was this guy at the bar they were at one day and she thought that Karen was going to flash her badge like she normally did and tell him to fuck off. And he was just like sitting there smiling like a creep. And Karen was like, let's get out of here. It was very unlike her and made the friend notice to enough that she remembers it. Also enough that she remembers it because they need this piece of information to move on in a show like this. Mm-hmm. Karen wouldn't tell her friend why. She never told her about the dude, but then her friend IDs Richard White as the dude that made mm-hmm. her uncomfortable. So then the detectives are chit-chatting over coffee in the precinct about White being a stalker, and Craigan says it's not possible because New York City doesn't have a statute on stalking. There was a law that was put into place in 1999, so I think that's why they were... Okay. addressing yep. it at this time but and Cragen said it in a but even super sarcastic yeah oh yeah it's fucked yeah but Cragen was saying it in a super sarcastic tone he was like New York City doesn't have a statute on stalking that's not possible like it feels like a really dangerous thing to not have yeah. some sort of regulation on so White's partner corroborates his alibi for everything um, so they're thinking that she might be the weak link because there's all of these things that are making them kind of want to talk to Richard White more mm-hmm. the next scene is Benson and Stabler ambushing White's partner Kimberly Phillips at his alibi house outside the house that he claims to have been at via the lockbox. <laughs> Sorry, this guy's like doing infomercials now. And she basically has the same story of quote unquote always running into him as the other women, but in a business version of it. So she's like, oh, we met at this networking thing. We didn't know each other and he wanted to go into business together. And I thought, oh, no, I don't really know you. The next day he sent me flowers and was like, oh, it was nice meeting you. And No hard feelings. Yeah, no yeah. hard feelings about the business thing. But then the more we would run into each other, the more we would talk about it. Pretty soon we became business partners. And so now we've been- He also been- provided the seed money too and he provide yeah. yeah and so that could have been like a driving factor that made it not seem super weird that she went into business with right. a random stranger mm-hmm. they've been business partners for two years then since then yeah. um but they can tell she's holding out on them because they're great detectives mm-hmm. is she afraid is she being controlled has he got something on her these are all questions that they're kind of going back and forth with after they talk to her mm-hmm. so then they're in Cragen's office it's low police lighting you know where you can see the blinds across their face just the little slivers of light coming through. Mm-hmm. Tub full of red vines on the corner of the desk looking real ominous. <laughs> and sexy. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> I could get rid of that. <laughs> so Benson and Stabler are telling... <laughs> 
I hope we don't get rid of any of that. No. <laughs> We're like, I can get rid of that. <laughs> so Benson and Stabler are going over White's control issues to Cragen and what he's done to these women to get control back. Apparently, like, does not like women that have any control. Uh, he doesn't like women at all. Correct. They're going over why he responded the way he did because he would always be trying to get control back. So Louise Billings broke it off with him, so he raped her to get back at her. The ADA prosecuted him, so and he fucking killed her. This is my favorite. So Olivia's interviewing Richard White. They get him to come in. God, this is so fucked up to me. He is, first of all, he looks like every 90s movie dad. You were nodding really hard, but then you stopped. What were you going to say? I was going to say he looked like every 90s, like, fuckboy perv, where he would, like, say things and he'd leave his mouth open. You know? <laughs> you're like, ew. But, like, could you picture him with a family, everybody's wearing denim and brush stroke background? Yeah, I could. I could. Yeah. But anyway, it's a toe-to-toe pace off. He hates that she's such a badass. They're going back and forth with the zings. So it's like step, step, spin, zing. And then the other one would be like step, step, spin with another like good one. Mm -hmm. And so then by this time, they're in each other's fucking faces. And Olivia's like, you know what you are? You're a nosy Parker. Come on, Olivia. (laughs) You're better than this. I hated that. It's great because as I'm going, what the fuck, Olivia? He goes, yeah, and you're a bitch. (laughs) But she doesn't miss a fucking beat. And she goes, yeah, did I hit a nerve? This is the part where he left his mouth open. He's like, I don't have nerves. And he went like, you can see his tongue. You're like, ew. Ew. You can see his tongue. Because they, they have nothing on him. She's just like trying to get him and questioning him. She hates that she has to let him go. And then he walks by and brushes shoulders with Cragen as he leaves. Dude, he legit touches her fucking face. How isn't the whole fucking precinct like kicking the door down to arrest this guy for touching her fucking face? And why do all these creepy motherfuckers feel like they need to touch her face? And as the guy's leaving, there's like this swell of like, wah, 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 disappointment guitar. Oh, and you know what? He's got to go. You know what her fucking wicked burn is on the way out? Go with God, Richard. Who wrote this scene? So they're back at the precinct. Cassidy says that that Canadian Dussault guy, he was found dead. He was colder than a witch's boob. He said it real weird and I hated it. I loved it. I have he's got to be from like five O's. He's got to be from like Orange County or something. The boob, the the B, the B at the end of the boob is really hard. Boob, boob. Yeah, he was colder than a witch's boob in a shack. He had OD'd on some skag. Somebody's fucking fifth grader. This is where the writing went wrong. (laughs) On some sweet, sweet skag. Got into his script writing shit. What was it at the? I'm like, got onto his giant square computer. And Did he probably have like a key for or something? He, was, <laughs> he took the floppy disk, he put it in that <laughs> after three hours of base. Oregon Trail, he was like, I'm getting to work. And then the kid's like, You're a nosy Parker. <laughs> Ooh, next scene. Colder than a witch's boob. It's like Dick Wolf's like 12-year-old son. <laughs> oh yeah, Jeremy. Back in. Jeremy's in charge of this one. All right, well, so cool. So I'm glad we spent so much time on this pointless fucking Canadian thing. Yeah. All right, now off to watch them all do paperwork for traffic stops. (laughs) They also find out that Richard White makes most of his money selling high-interest loans to low-income families. The loan division makes him a ton of money, but his business partner, Kim Phillips, she's not on the, like, loan division part. Yeah, she doesn't make any money off of that portion, the portion that he makes the most money on. Yeah, she doesn't make shit compared to Richard White. Mm -hmm. So they go to the Taft State Bank. Not on paper. The bank guy's like, I'm going to need a warrant. They say, one fucking sentence to this guy yeah, where and they're he's like, like oh cool we'll just have this place crawl 
them with feds and seeing if there's anything to do with mob like Russian, money laundering, yeah. shit like that. And he's just like, oh, I'll pull those up like for Im- you. Like immediately folds. Yeah. Like an origami crane. I didn't write that down, but I just, sorry, I had Jeremy over and he, <laughs> he got to my laptop. He's like 45 now. <laughs> We're dating, okay? I love him. He's still a terrible writer. They're going through um, Richard White and Mrs. Uh, Miss Phillips' bank ship. Miss Phillips. I don't know why I started saying Kim. His, yeah, his business partner, Dick Kim and Phillips. Kim. Dick, Dick and Kim. Kim's realty. Kim and Dick. Kim Dick Realty Garden. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's just like, Lockbox. <laughs> So then they find out that $3,000 is being given to Kimberly under the table. Tax-free for non-ownership. Adding up to like 150 grand a year. Yeah. So they're like, bingo, here we go. The lockbox info comes back. 90s alert. She's yep. carrying his beeper. That gets into lockbox. That yep. is what faxed to Crim Realty to the lockbox So they know guy. it was her who was there and his alibi is shit. And now he's being covered up for so we need to go fucking talk to him. So they had to go back to see Miss Phillips. Right. So they use... Kim Phillips. Miss Phillips, if you're nasty. <laughs> they use the money to get her to be honest. So now she dumps out everything. He's controlling her with one, she's getting a shitload of fucking money. Mm-hmm. Also, he's intimidating her. He, he's scared her. Yeah, so the so the real version of this story of her story with him lines up more with the other women's stories. He sent those flowers, but she was like, "He had no idea where I fucking lived as far as I knew. I just met him once. When I met him and I said I didn't want to go into business with him the first fucking night that we ever met each other, he lost his shit. The reason he sent flowers was to say no hard feelings Sh- yeah. for losing his shit on her over meeting her for 5 minutes and her saying no to being a business partner." She said that she thought he was going to like her in front of all of the other realtors. Yeah. Yeah. She knew that he had stalked her to all of those open houses that they kept running into each other at and she couldn't go to the police because at the time there was no law against what he was doing. Yeah. It would. She said it would have to be harassment or something else yeah. where the complainant feared for their life. But like what had he done? Offered me a job? Yeah. <sighs> she figured out that he had killed Fitzgerald and he knew that she had figured it out but then he said he would kill her. So because he said he would kill her she's like I'm gonna fucking yeah yeah you were here. Yeah, you were whatever. She co- she was fully going to cover for him. She was in too fucking deep at this point. Mm-hmm. So he absolutely does not have an alibi for the murder. Right. So they're at Richard White's home. They get an alibi or they get a warrant. His apartment is completely empty. This bougie ass apartment too. Mm-hmm. Super nice. No food in the fridge. In the freezer though, there's a picture of Louise Billings, the date rape victim. In the freezer, in like the a freezer. goddamn serial killer. Yeah. There's a map of Central Park that they find. They're like, oh, check out this map of Central Park with <laughs> dates and times and locations. I'm like, is this minority report because this is an orgy of evidence (laughs) you can choose (laughs) so then i I just realized that the like it's time for a rewatch i haven't seen that in i watched it not that long ago but i just remember when you got new eyeballs or whatever but the the lady that was in the tank yeah she wore those old navy capris at the end yeah that was the lady that is the bad guy in this final season of The Walking Dead, and I haven't been able to place her until this very moment. I haven't watched the final season. I think I stopped watching Walking Dead. God, were they still on the farm? I think they had just left the farm, and I, I think stopped that was watching. Like season two, right? It gets bad, and then it gets good. And no, it's dude, bad. I no, it wasn't season two. It was like season three because they were on that farm for a long ass. There's time. like ten now. Ugh. No, thanks. That's fine. So then Munch is going through this guy's BDSM porn collection. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, I should have forensics in my house once a week just to clean up. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Great dad joke, Munch. 
the picture of Louise Billings in his freezer. Stabe speculates that he's gone because he's had all this heat on him. Yeah, his closets are like pretty much empty. Right. They're back at the precinct. Munch has cops looking at empty foreclosures that White might be hiding away in. Munch brings up concerns about Olivia's safety because she stood up to him and his history of how he gets back at women that... He feels are in power. Yes. Yeah. So Munch is like, oh, he's fucking great. And he's like, we've got your back. She's yeah. Like, thanks. Yeah. And we're all so like, thanks, Munch. Yeah. She's going to need it because there's 15 minutes left in the episode and something yeah. big's going to happen. Yeah. So Forensic like does some forensic-y stuff on a notepad and finds like a list of like a gym, um, a grocery, laundry, laundry yeah. and stable stapler. <laughs> stapler has evidence Wait, from White. Wait, can we ask Through the mics. Stabler has evidence from White's house that White has been stalking Olivia. <gasps> yeah. So then we finally see Olivia's cute and lonely apartment. Part of just part of the kitchen. Yeah. It's morning. She's getting ready for work. She pours herself like 20 ounces of orange juice. She pours this gigantic <laughs> glass of orange juice. And I'm like, oh yeah, 1990s. Orange juice was super good for you. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Because then when they leave, I was she, I know she was just going to put it down. And I'm like, I don't want to come home to uh, old orange juice. Once I noticed that she poured herself a Big goddamn... Big size. <laughs> a pitcher of An illegal juice. amount in New York City amount of orange juice now. <laughs> I kept watching the glass. First of all, the continuity of the level of orange juice in that glass, somebody was not doing their job. Yeah. But then it did make me notice a cute thing. Because she takes a little drink and she sets it down. And she's like, yeah, we're going to get going. And then Stabler picks up the same glass of orange juice and he takes a sip. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's just these little things. I didn't even see that. Well, I only noticed because I was really, really focused on this glass of orange juice. But it Dude, was just if, this really cute moment. It's it's a subliminal thing to tell us how close they are. She is not fucking having everybody's concerns. And she's like, oh, yeah, so you drove all the way to the precinct. You got the sedan. You came back here. Okay, in the neighborhood, sure. She's not having any of it. Even though she works around these fucking people all the time, she's flying a little too close to the sun with her level of being able to handle shit. They're at the apartment of Louise Billings. Door opens. It's Nurse Jackie's husband. I never show. saw the show. Oh my god. First of all, that's such a great fucking show. Yeah. It was too close to after The Sopranos. I was like, I'm not ready to see her in another role. Edie Falco. She's so great. She is. And I loved him too. He was so great in the show. He opens the door. Lopez. Homicide. She's dead. Louise Billings is dead. She was shot in her bedroom. Huh. Stabler asked him to cross-examine the 44 rounds that he had found. Ex examine them with Karen Fitzgerald because yeah. the gun that was the original victim. Well, because she was just, Louise Billings was just shot. Why did they call SVU? Because they found one of their business cards in her apartment, so they called SVU because why else was she? Mm -hmm. So he had her pick in the freezer because he was like, gonna kill her. Yep. Olivia is thinking that she didn't do enough to protect Louise Billings, of course. Mm -hmm. um, oh, she's taking it on. Yeah. He was fixed on her. So then they're talking to a neighbor. Oh my God, I loved him. He was so cute. Yeah. He was so wearing like a little striped robe and he was like it's like how they say in the news it sounds like firecrackers and it sounded like firecrackers so then i'm gonna go back to bed but i heard somebody say bitch and then he points out white in a lineup yeah precinct hubbub craigan doesn't want he's, he's like i don't want glory i want richard white off the streets craigan is throwing around commands he doesn't want olivia out there he was worried richard white is focused on her she she reminds the captain that he told her early on in episode fucking one we don't get to pick the vic mm -hmm. remember so let me do my job so if she's a potential vic the same rules should still apply badass she's Terrifying. a fucking badass the second he's like okay sure I suppose you can two dozen roses show up for mm -hmm. Benson 
that and a note that says no hard feelings. This kid probably experienced delivering flowers like he never has before because he's like Olivia Benson and he gives it to her and she's like, Where do you work? <laughs> yeah, everybody everybody points a gun in the whole <laughs> So in the, the 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 next scene, they're at the flower shop. The flowers were charged to Lila White, mm-hmm. who is Richard's mother. Yeah, and the flower lady just gives them their address. <laughs> they're like, "What's the address?" She's like, "Sure." Yeah, Lila's Richard's mom, and she's this classy East Coast lady. Yeah, uh, I can't wait to hear your impression of her voice. <laughs> she's super waspy. They're asking about his alibi or where he was recently. Mm-hmm. Around 9 a.m., he looked disheveled and harried. <laughs> he also wanted to borrow some money. That's generally when I see him, when he wants to borrow money. He's a taker. I'm at the edge and of they, my seat right they, now. <laughs> then they're like, did he say why he needed it? I assume because he had none. Cold-blooded as shit. Mm-hmm. She, she, w- said, she, yeah, she said that Richard used the, his father's death to play on her like she had any guilt about it. Yeah, because her dad didn't. killed him, or his dad killed killed himself and then she said oh he was off to see a lady friend a police woman she's like sorry and then talk shit about police not making any money yeah she rags on how little money cops make and then says for that cops have to deal with filth all day and then elliot's like of all shapes and sizes she's like what's the visual joke you just did (laughs) she's like excuse me with her face so they're in the car that was like a double take for like (laughs) right no one else can see it (laughs) i know but I don't know how to explain it. I just did. Okay, yeah. Uh... So they're in the car. Benson will have none of Stabe's concern. He's like, go up and flick the lights on and off when you get there. And she just is like acting like everybody's being ridiculous when they are dealing with a guy who stalks, rapes, and kills. And he's currently in the first stages of that with Olivia. And she's, she's like, like, you guys. just trying to get in my head. And you're like, Ugh. I'm not sure. He told his mother about you. He fucking killed the ADA. Like, he's not afraid to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> he told his mom about you. That must mean he likes it's you. serious. Uh, so she's in her room sleeping. And you're like waiting to hear like a window slide open or something. Or like something happen. It's this slow pan into her bedroom with her sleeping on her stomach. Ow, your neck. And all of a sudden... This is the most jarring phone phone ringing it ever. Sure, they didn't show a rotary phone on a hook, <laughs> but I pictured it like ding a ling a ling, like bouncing back and forth, ones. like it does. Yeah, one with like the handle that sits on a table, but when it rings, it like bounces around like, like in a, a cartoon. cartoon or something. Yeah, <laughs> it rang that hard. So it's Creep City. Richard White. He wants to meet in the Ramble at the park at seven a.m. and not to bring the cops. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> I know. Olivia's at the Central Park Ramble Bench. She's just sitting there. No one's around. A homeless man comes up. Is it him? It's not. It's just a homeless guy. He blows her a kiss, which is adorable. But it's, you know why it's adorable? Because it's not somebody who's coming to murder her. Yeah, yeah. You're like, hi, oh, cute. She's like, oh, hi. <laughs> yeah. So then two two joggers run up. Uh, looks like a man and a woman. And then suddenly the <gasps> the woman jogger starts screaming. And he like pushes her out of the way. And he's like, get out of here, bitch. Get out of here. she's like and he's got a knife and he lunges at Olivia and Stabler comes out of the bushes with a bunch of other cops and their guns drawn everybody yeah the whole cast they jump out like they're walking through a double door (laughs) (laughs) yeah Cragen does the sweet leg sweep yeah and he goes down Olivia handcuffs him and he calls her a lying coward bitch I'm like Like, what what did you expect the cops are there like be there at seven I trust you (laughs) 
Like, you're a fucking idiot. Anyways, they're in the interrogation room. That lying coward bitch and Richard. Olivia wants to do it alone because he'll be all into it. Is this the one where she looks amazing in her jeans? Is this this? Oh, I wrote, Olivia looks good in those leads, dude. Those are the best. Can you cut that out? No. (laughs) I want to say it better. I'm like, Olivia looks good in those leads, dude. Dude. No, that's staying in. Oh, shit. She's wearing the shit out of these mom jeans. Mm-hmm. She is the spokesperson for mom jeans. Like, somebody watched this episode and were like, we don't wear mom jeans anymore. And then they saw this and they're like, this shit's got to come back. They're like, now we do. She looked incredible. She did. Mariska Hargitay. To... Incredible. They're playing a tennis match of sassy banter. And he asks about Olivia's mom to try to get under her skin. Oh, he's such a fuck. He talks about how there's always going to be, like, I'm going to be in your head just like your mom. I have somebody in her head. Yeah, she still have all those scars from the rape. So then he refers to his mom as the classic refrigerator mother. He literally killed Karen Fitzgerald, the APA, because he embarrassed her. What what, what is an APA? Oh, that's that's an American pale ale. (laughs) That's why... He literally killed her because she embarrassed him in court. Yeah. Toxic masculinity. Disgusting. Yeah. So they wanted him to, they wanted Olivia to get the confession, but had to include, the confession had to include him shooting her with the gun for him to get the death penalty. The possibility of there being, yeah. Yeah, for that to be on the table. But they don't have the gun and he purposefully leaves the part out about shooting her because he like teases Olivia with it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, this is all I'm going to tell you. He said, I'm fixed on you until I'm done dead always be in your head just like your mom has mm-hmm. someone in her head then, then calls he, out stabler go he, ahead do it do he it. turns to the two-way mirror and he goes i just picture him with his mouth hanging open like you were doing before detective stabler how's kathy on the call <laughs> how are kathy and the kids dude stabler's <gasps> eyes go like squinty and like Mm-mm. his mouth gets all tiny because he's like pissed Mm-mm. oh he just makes a tiny anger butthole with his yes <laughs> That was good. Yeah, that was a good one. Oh my God, I can't wait to hear your chase around this. Okay. Okay, statistic. One in four women and one in 13 men will be victims of stalking. This is a story of one of those women. When I was thinking about this one, the fact that they were talking about there not being stalking laws Mm -hmm. made me be like, "Mm, this is a woman who had a lot to do with the changing of those laws. Just in general or in New York In general. Okay. In general. Kathleen Gallagher Beatty survived eight years of stalking by Lawrence Stagner. Eight? Eight years of knowing someone's fucking watching you. Like he was doing it. Did he take breaks or anything or? Well, let's let's okay, get more sorry. than two sentences <laughs> into the story. <laughs> so Kathleen grew up in Redwood, California. She was the prom queen. She ran track. Um, she was aware of Larry Stagner in school, but she didn't have any kind of relationship with him. Like they ran track together. Together, but, you know, just like anybody else, she didn't know him, but she was aware of who he was in school. On his end, he was becoming obsessed with her. And Kathleen was completely unaware of his infatuation until the fall of 1982, when Kathleen was attending UCLA as a cheerleader. Um, she went home for Thanksgiving break, and Kathleen gets a phone call at her mom's house. It was Larry. Mm-hmm. Okay, up until this point, this guy is calling her on the phone. She'd never had a relationship with him. She initially thought it was really odd that he was calling her, just because she's like, okay, hi. But in that phone call, Larry told Kathleen that he wanted the two of them to go on a road trip together. He told her he thought they should get to know each other since they didn't really get the chance to in high school. And Kathleen politely declined. Mm -hmm. 
and ended the call. That's really nice of her. Some uh, random dude that you've never talked to from high school calls and does isn't. How just long like, was it after high school too? By the way, she was in college. Oh, okay. So it was maybe a year, maybe two years. It reminds me of that. Remember in early Seinfeld episodes? Oh my God, was it the first season when Joe Davola was hanging out with Elaine and she's like, "Oh, my boyfriend Joe, he's so great." And Jerry was like, "He's super weird and whatever." She goes to his apartment and there's tons of photos of her all over in his apartment and he gets like it's a really scary scene Mm-mm. but it's a Seinfeld episode I don't, I don't. so it's just like <gasps> I, don't, I, I, I know you're gonna hate this but I've seen some Seinfelds and they're always fucking great mm-hmm. I just had never got balls to the wall into it yet wow <clears throat> you need to leave how many episodes of Roseanne have you fucking seen all of them times like 500 mm, cool cause that aged great so <laughs> So after this phone call, Kathleen's just like hanging out with her mom. The next day, Larry called the house nearly nonstop with threats against Kathleen, her family, her boyfriend. He was saying things like if she wasn't willing to be with him, she'd regret it. The next day. He like the first time they ever have a conversation on the phone. He's like, hey, what's up? Do you want to maybe get to know each other better? I think it'd be nice. And she's like, no, thank you. Bye. The next day. He called on a fucking loop, threatening her, threatening her family, threatening her boyfriend. He said if she wasn't willing to be with him, she would regret it. This guy went to a hundred like that. Whoa. So then she what reached the it. fuck? Okay. Yeah. It's hard to like talk sense into nonsense. I'm just like. No, there's like, I'm, no. I'm, yeah. I'm over here like blinking really hard. <laughs> don't try to rationalize it. Like, well, maybe if she would have said no, maybe if she did nothing, this guy is there's there's mental illness involved here. Yeah. For this to go so this way. For years, hard. he's been like thinking about it. And then it's like, I'm finally going to call her. And then she's yeah. like, no, thanks. And then he was like, bah. Yep. Yep. Wow. So she reaches out to the police who then contact Larry and tell him. This to, is an 82, right? So he said. Yes. Okay. And they tell Larry to leave her and her family alone. He stopped the calls and laid low for just a short time after that. February 1983, Kathleen's parents found that the house had been broken into. Mm. And they couldn't prove it, but conclusions were drawn back to Stagner since Kathleen's address and contact info at UCLA was missing. You see, in the 80s, it would have been written down and probably thumbtacked to a corkboard or something. I mean, they were in fucking phone books. Right. Ew. Mm-hmm. They were in phone books. Let's not talk about Google Maps right now. Google Earth. We could come down full camera. There's a satellite camera outside your window right now. No. Okay. So immediately following the burglary, Larry started contacting Kathleen at school. Oh, there's another big indicator that it was him. <laughs> so he was trying to convince Kathleen that he could give her a perfect life and doing the shit again. And, and she knew that she couldn't rationalize with an irrational person. So she um, she ended up taking out a restraining order and it turns out that it was going to be the first of many. Okay, so they sometimes ran by each other in high school. Yeah. Think about that. Like if, if she was letting this shit get to her, think about being aware of what was going through this person's head when you didn't even have awareness of them. Mm -hmm. That's fucking insane. He seemed to comply with the restraining order and was following along with it. Kathleen and her family didn't hear much of anything from him for the next four years, but that doesn't mean he wasn't watching... He was. Yeah. In May of 1987, Kathleen was at the beach for a walk when she crossed 
pals with him. She ran to her condo and called the police as she watched him retrieve a gun from his car. <gasps> oh my God. Yes. She's like watching him in the parking lot. Can you imagine being on the phone being like, could you guys just fucking get here? <laughs> because he's yeah. going into his car to get a gun. Fortunately, the police arrived before he could do any physical harm. So then he was sentenced to 60 days in jail for violating his rest because he was still under a restraining order at this time. Hold on. Only 60 days? Yeah. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This was particularly triggering for me to do research on this subject matter because I had an ex who stalked me at one point. Mm -hmm. And so it's really fucking scary to. This is crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The guy's nickname is crazy. (laughs) It's not like his nickname. Everybody calls him. It's just ours. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, because I don't want to be like, oh no. It sounded uh, like I was like, I'm like, ah. Yeah. 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 It's just like really fucking scary because they do things. I mean, I mean, any good stalker, my my experience, he would do things that the cops would come and then they'd be like, there's nothing we can do. Mm-hmm. You know, like writing messages to me in snow would call me from random phone numbers mm-hmm. that weren't connected to anybody, like pay phones and shit, mm-hmm. would show up at my door at bizarre times, would steal things like when I was still hanging out with him and then bring it to me later that like he had stolen things from me to like try to get back into talking to me Mm. even to when like we were gonna go to court the night before I was supposed to go to court for my restraining order this was after he had loosened the lug nuts on my fucking tires oh god damn he called me from a random phone number and was like hey I have this possession of yours that didn't mean anything to anybody else but meant something to me and he knew it so he must have either broken into my house when I wasn't home or had taken it anticipating using something against me and was like I'll give these back if you don't go to court in the morning. I was so fucked up in the head that I called a police officer to come over and I'm like, hey, he said that he would give these back to me if I whatever. And he's like, this cop looked at me like I had 19 heads. He goes, he's not going to give that back to you. Go to court. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh yeah, totally, for sure. I'm going to do that. But anyway, so I've been stalked. Oh my God, why am I doing this? What? What? Relating to what we're talking about? No. I'm like, I've been stalked to a degree. To a degree. Like, I'm I'm like trying to minimize it in my my head. I'm mentally minimizing it to like oh, not sure. make it a big deal yeah i was fucking scared okay i'm gonna cut most of that out because don't it scares me to talk about okay kathleen deci- what i'm just giving you a oh, don't i can hear that <laughs> when i <laughs> kathleen decided to move back in with her parents during this time and this is also where she met and began dating her future husband mm-hmm. greg Beatty. is it Star- warren brady's brother <laughs> sorry what just oh, warren Beatty. yeah i thought you said warren brady i'm like None of it, any of that makes any sense. He was a star alumni and tight end for the New England Patriots. Bet she's got a tight end. <laughs> she worked as a local realtor. One night, Kathleen answered the door for the pizza delivery man. Mm-hmm. No. Yep. Don't even get pizza. And saw Larry standing there with her pizza. But no. she didn't register that it was Larry until after she had paid and shut the door. She was like, you know, in a haze of like, yay, pepperoni or whatever. <laughs> And gets her pizza, like, boop, 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 signs, whatever, thank you, closes the door, and realizes that it was Larry Stagner. Mm -hmm. So she called the police, and they said there was nothing they could do because he had not threatened or harmed her. This is where it lines up with the bullshit in the episode. Oh, so her, um... Her thing had ended. The restraining order had ended. I suppose. I don't they, think. Well, I suppose it they like run out after a while, right? They do, but you can continually renew it. He worked at the pizza place that was down the street from where she lived. So they said oh. they couldn't do anything because, let's say, maybe it he, could be coincidence. Maybe it's just a coincidence. 
coincidence that he happened to deliver the pig? When you're the one being stalked, you fucking know the shit that's happening is not a coincidence. It's mm-hmm. not just that he was delivering pizza. He wasn't just trying to move on with his life. Yeah. It's a thing that they do to like keep contact with you that, I mean, that probably fed his shit for a, a period of time that none of us can relate to. Yeah. He got the job to do that. I believe that. Of course. So then, November of 1989, Kathleen was home alone when she looked out her window and saw Larry standing in her driveway. Mm. She called the police, but he was gone before they arrived. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. It's fucking 1989. You've been doing this since 82. Like, fucking stop. I know. there, And that's the thing, is the paper trail, before I got a restraining order, it's not fucking easy to get a restraining order. People mm-hmm. are like, oh yeah, blah, blah. It's not fucking easy. So, like, if someone's able to get one, that means there's a lot of shit backing up why you have a restraining order against you. Yeah. Okay. When I was told I needed to get a restraining order, a cop actually brought me a piece of paper, like the thing that you have to fill out. She fucking brought it and she's like, hi, we've seen each other a million times. Fill this out. Mm -hmm. You need this. Because the things that he was doing were escalating. Mm -hmm. And she's like, this guy's going to motherfucking kill you. So you need to... Yeah. Get this shit done. December 31st, 1989. Kathleen was at a New Year's party with friends when she saw Larry at the party. He left before the police could come. Mm -hmm. And so it's just this constant, he's just dipping in, Mm -hmm. you know, to see her. Obviously, he's watching her the whole time because he knows Uh that she's there. Like, it's disgusting. Uh, So he was arrested for violating the restraining order on January 3rd and sentenced to 120 days. What a relief to know where this guy is, though. Yeah. So she, like, gets 120 days of, like, ugh. I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to sleep maybe a little bit better. Yeah. During that time, during that 120 days, Kathleen and Greg were married. And when they returned from their honeymoon, they were told that Stagner had been released the night before. No. Greg signed with the Miami Dolphins. So he had to... What? 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 He signed with the Miami Dolphins? Yeah, they're a football team. He's a tight end. Oh, are they a football team? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, geez, I didn't know he was like famous football guy. Kathleen and Greg lived in Menlo Park when he was... Uh, Menlo Park, California, when Greg was signed with the Miami Dolphins. So those two things equal that Kathleen spent a lot of time home alone. So because Kathleen was spending so much more time home alone, Larry's contact became more frequent and more brazen. Mm -hmm. So on May 17th of 1990, mm -hmm, Kathleen came home from work to find... Gabe's shaking her head really hard. Yes. She came home to find Larry Stagner standing in her living room. Fuck him. Oh, my God. He was carrying a buck knife, a semi-automatic weapon, and 120 rounds of ammunition. How many hands does this guy have? (laughs) Jesus. So Larry says, hey, let's go. He's... Hi. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, so I, I mean, I know. I picture him with like this arsenal of shit. He's wearing a vest that's He's like, like hey specific girl, hey. to holding. It's like, sup, Kath. Um, do you want to go to the California Oregon border with me, and we can just be happy together? Uh, do you like want to go to your grave? Cool. He told her, if you just go with me, I promise you'll be happy. Like I'm gonna do all these things, and you're gonna be happy. And Kathleen is a fucking boss. Any kind of fear that she has she put in the back seat at this moment and she asks him to sit down and she's like oh my god I've been waiting for you to show up oh shit yeah she's she like, saved fine. her own fucking life and I'll tell yeah. you she she did all this shit this makes her she's insane she's a hero he's like okay and gets comfortable like oh finally she's hearing me I've gotten through to her mm-hmm. is it the 120 rounds of ammunition <laughs> yeah maybe so then as she gets him comfortable she chats him up a little bit the phone rings it's her mom yeah because Kathleen had thrown off Larry's 
edge, like how his edginess with her hospitality, he allowed her to answer the phone. Yeah. I watched this interview that she did with Megan Kelly and she said that she was purposefully keeping the conversation light but responding to her mom's questions with answers that didn't apply to them so that her, her mom, mom would, would get like... confused and she'd been dealing with Larry for all of these years yeah. that like any kind of odd thing she knew would trigger her mom. Mm-hmm. It was confusing enough for her mom to get off the phone and then call the police. Mm-hmm. So then Kathleen's phone rings again and it was the local police dispatch who were already very familiar with her situation when you're in a situation like this if you stay in one area for long enough you get to know a lot of cops in that Mm -hmm. area yeah I listened to the 911 recording. It was borderline hilarious. I gotta hear it. Yeah. Kathleen is amazing. She answers the phone and it's 911 dispatch. Everything is falling into place so she doesn't die. This whole time she's like, I could get killed at any fucking second if I trip this fucking trigger of a person over here. Mm -hmm. So she's on the phone. She's pretending it's a real estate client and she's just talking away to this person as if it's somebody that she was expecting a call from, a real estate client. She's answering the dispatcher's questions at the same time. Mm. So the dispatcher's on the other end going, is Larry there? And she's like, yeah. And the dispatcher's like, does he have a weapon? And she goes, mm-hmm, yep. And all the while, she's throwing in realtor jargon and like house. Well, I'm not really sure because um, remember the one house that we looked at? And then the dispatcher would be like, so is Larry there? And she'd be like, yes, mm-hmm, yes, that one, yes. Larry was starting to get uneasy. And he decided to tie Kathleen's hands together, take her to the car and hit the road for their new life. Of course. Tie your hands together. Of course. Right. Yeah. Road trip. Hop in. Love you. Should we swing through Burger King? T-Bell? <laughs> oh, just kidding. You can't eat. You're zip tied. <laughs> anyway, should I buckle you in? Kathleen's stalling had worked perfectly because when they walked out the door, fucking SWAT team. Yes. Yeah. Larry froze. And again, like this woman's split second decision making is incredible. Kathleen immediately fucking takes off, books it to her dad because she clocks him about 20 yards away, jumps a fence to get to her dad. and With her hands zip tied. With her fucking hands zip tied. Fuck. Then a 12 hour standoff with Stagner follows and he finally gave up and was apprehended. So Did he go back in the house or was I don't know. he just like... I don't know. There's 12 no... 12 de- hours? I assume he probably went back in the house. Kathleen testified against him and he was facing a maximum of 12 years, fucking finally some actual time. Kathleen begged the judge to give him the maximum, uh, but he was given eight years and 10 months with the possibility of parole after four years and five months. He had fucking weapons. Like he- So again, this was like the same thing as the Brock Turner thing <sighs> where you can get the time cut in half this was in california so i don't know if this is i'm like maybe they'll find more information maybe they they didn't have like stalking laws that were the outcome of his prison time is what showed kathleen that she needed to take action and get involved with changing the laws Mm -hmm. so the punishment seemed so lenient with the kind of danger that kathleen was in he would have to kill her before he would get actual time yes so a quote that she had said was in a sense he's already taken a life the way i lived before 1982 is over I have to take precautions in everyday life that other people never pay a second thought. Mm -hmm. He was released in 1994 to a halfway house. In this time, Kathleen and Greg had moved to Florida. Her husband was a tight end of the Miami Dolphins. Kathleen didn't have a restraining order in Florida because it's a state-by-state thing. Mm -hmm. One month into his parole... Stegner disabled his ankle bracelet and borrowed money from his sister and went looking for Kathleen. There was a six-day manhunt for him. Kathleen was fucking pissed. Yeah. She hired private security. She has the privilege to be able to hire private security for herself, Mm -hmm. for her family in Florida, 
and for her family in California. Mm-hmm. Her whole family moved into a hotel. I mean, everybody, the last time she saw him, he had a fucking arsenal. Yeah. So Larry Can was- Can you imagine? I mean, sorry, just being like a family member and having to like, well, A, her- anybody mm-hmm. but all of these people have to like fucking uproot their lives and like move to a hotel family members they don't even she doesn't even live with right it has nothing to do with me yeah yeah because this guy's fucking got a boner for her mm-hmm. a psychotic boner for her like right. fuck fuck you larry <laughs> what's his last name again stagner i was like fuck you larry styles that's like <laughs> that pops in my head <laughs> Larry Styles, he's the weird stalkerish brother of Harry that nobody talks about. So Larry was Harry found- Styles is rolled in his grave. <laughs> he's not dead. I know he's like twelve. He's also not dead. <laughs> Larry was found withdrawing money from an ATM. His bank account had been flagged, so they were like, "Boop, there you are." Nobody said he was smart. <laughs> there, I could tell when he like let her answer the phone. <laughs> you know that played like a movie version of a stalker. Like, yeah. go ahead and answer the phone. It should be fine. I'm also you. going to give a really big monologue before we leave, just to give enough time for somebody to show up if they need to. Right. Yeah. So there was no law for interstate stalking. So all he could be charged with, I know, all he could be charged with was violating the parameters of his parole and was put back in prison for one year. Oh my. F- At this point, Larry had not reached out to Kathleen after this last time he had served. She has estimated that she spent around $50,000 protecting her family since the onset of the stalking. At this point now, she is fully trained in self-defense fighting methods. She even trained with a fucking French mercenary. Sweet. She's like, I'm taking this motherfucker down if he shows up. Yeah. She Jennifer Lopez enoughed enough to where she could she's probably like I'm gonna handle this shit on my own that's one of my favorite movies I know it is cut to J-Lo bouncing up and down (laughs) we both started doing it the exact same time though like the bounce under the rope training method so she now calls herself the safety chick and she's been crucial with helping change laws around stalking like she has made this her entire life a lot has changed in the laws of stalking and kidnapping because of Kathleen. She and U.S. Representative Ed Royce have worked together to make this happen. In 1996, Congress passed the anti-stalking legislation making interstate stalking and related crimes a federal felony. She advocates for victims. She teaches self-defense to middle school girls. She's part of police training programs, assisting TSA and DHS. She's written two books about protecting yourself from violent crime. She's just made this her mission at this point. Don't know anything about Larry anymore. No. After How- after his last prison stint, th- there I couldn't find any more information about him. So I don't know if he slowly slunked away or if he moved on to someone else or what. Because the last time there was anything about him was in the early 90s that I could find. Whoa. Is she still married to that guy? I think so. You know, tight end. I did want to put this in here. If you or someone you know is a victim of stalking, contact Victim Connect at 855 855- Four eight four two eight four six. Cool. Mm-hmm. So this lady that worked for my dad, Jamie, she had a, a pretty intense stalker. Like my dad would have to walk her outside of the office and stuff, or people would have to take shifts. Right. Her case changed a lot of the laws in Wisconsin about stalking. Oh wow. Because of this guy, he ended up going to prison, but then talking his sister into like stepping in stalking. What for is him. with these fucking sisters? I, when you said that about the sister, I was like, what the fuck? And then she ended up going to prison. What happened to Larry's fucking sister? <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know all the details. I'll have to ask my dad or look it up, but yeah, it was pretty crazy. Oh my God. It's really fucking scary to know you're being watched. It's like, I'm paranoid anyway, mm. but when you know someone is watching you, when your fucking cell phone rings at two in the morning and the person at the other end tells you who you're with and what you're wearing, it's fucking terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And it's used to control people. It's used to like, to scare, like if I scare you enough, you'll do what I want you to do. Yeah. Also, there's like no making sense of what they're doing or why they're doing it. I'm fucking triggering myself all over again. Yeah. If I can just get them to like see. I think mine was more in the world of control. Did he want to be with you? At first, because I broke it off. So then at first it was, it would be stuff like, I remember one time he showed up on my doorstep and I had started dating someone else a little bit after and he blew his top over it. Mm -hmm. He knew like when I was with him, he would always show up. Like he showed up one time we were on a date and like we went back to my place and he pulled in like 30 seconds after we had gotten to my house. Mm -hmm. So like I knew he was following me. And then one time I was home by myself and he came to the door and he had blood on his shirt, <gasps> like drops of blood on this white t-shirt and told me that he had been diagnosed with cancer and had some tumor or something. And so he was having nosebleeds. Cut to me finding out that it was blood from a steak because his roommate, who was also super weird, told me. His roommate, his friend, knew that he was doing this kind of shit. He faked suicide a couple of times. Um, so that kind of stuff he was doing to like get me to talk to him again or like get me to it was it was a lot more dirty John yeah then after when I was like no not at all not happening I don't want to talk to you I'm not going to entertain your shit because I believed the cancer thing for a minute yeah and well because like why cause does wouldn't that? you why wouldn't you believe it because like yeah nobody right like, so I so after that I was just like you know what you can do all of these things all you, none of it was working on me anymore then it was like he got mad mm -hmm. and then and he started just harassing me and like following me like the the lug nuts on the tire thing no I think it was like trying to I don't it was a little of both yeah it was a little of both because when he loosened the lug nuts on my tires he had shown up I was house sitting for a friend and he had shown up at her house in the middle of the night and for some reason I felt comfortable opening the fucking door I don't know why I never was like you're probably gonna get murdered the next day my tires were flattened and I'm like oh my god this is like his calling card is flattening people's tires mm -hmm. so I like had he stabbed him or like you just like I wasn't sure yeah but the little things were missing that like pss, you can deflate them with whatever yeah what is that the little thing little pss covers yeah the little pss covers and so I had to get my car towed. That's when the police brought me the restraining order thing. Cause they were like, things are escalating. Now he's like fucking with your shit. And like for him to leave you alone, like we see you once a week at that's, least. That's cool that they brought that. It was you. a lady cop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And she's like, I'm gonna need you to fill this out and get this in. So then the next day a mechanic called me and was like, hey, this might be a weird question, but has somebody, do you think someone's been tampering with your car? And I'm like, probably, why? Yeah. <laughs> And he goes, well, the lug nuts on these flat tires were loosened to the point that if you were to drive your car, like the tire would fly off. Yeah. He's like, you could end up in a really bad accident like this. I'm like, oh, yeah. cool. So it's, I don't know. I roll my eyes like it's annoying. <laughs> it was like attempted murder. Yeah, it was, um, who knows, who knows what it was. But it was then that I was like, yeah, I really need to fill this shit out. And I mean, there's so many other so many things I could do I should do a chaser on that do it I don't want to because I didn't know I didn't know a lot of this yeah it was before we met I know but I'm surprised you hadn't told me about it a couple times <laughs> well, no I just mean like like bringing it up a couple times like, like it hasn't gone rounds in, in your I mean, stories it makes a lot more sense because when I knew you you were like I sleep with a hammer and a screwdriver under my pillow and I was like yeah. cool I sleep with the window open 
<laughs> you know. Maybe that is why. Maybe that is why. <laughs> Can we be done? Yeah. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Hey, pod pals. Sorry, that was dumb. Follow us on Instagram at svupod for SVU content and updates. Email us with questions, stories, or whatever, and when me and Tasha can actually hang out again, we'll be reading them on the podcast. The email again is svupod at gmail.com. You can subscribe, rate us, review us, and tell your buds. Thanks. Tasha, I suck at this shit. I need you here. Don't get in your head about any of it because I can... You're right. And I trust you to delete all those things that are... I love your trust in me. Do you really? I hope you don't think that I like... like. I cut out any of your jokes that are funnier than mine. No. <laughs> no, no, I meant like I hope you didn't think that I was like ambivalent and was like, oh, do whatever you want. I just like really believe that you're going to yeah. do... No, no, no. I do. Okay. I, I do feel that way. I do think that. Okay. Mom, I got to poop. We wiped my freaking butt? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, dude. Marty, God damn it. You better quit. Do you want to just do it then? Do you want me to? I'm sweating under my boobs so hard. We all are. <laughs> I, just, I just see your little button nose go. <laughs> so Stabler has. Wait, a- what? <laughs> your nose is adorable. Thanks. And I, then it was full scrap. to the brim again. And it was full to the brim again. He's like, she off actually, the top. She actually picked it up and was like, oh, it spilled a little bit. Uh, oh my. God.